that he loves me? Children, you may be dismissed for Young Disciples today, Children's Church, if you're visiting with us this morning. Our children are being dismissed to Children's Church, and feel free to send your kiddos along. They are being led to be young disciples of Jesus. So although they will have refreshments and fun, they will also be learning this morning on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Wonderful. Take your Bibles, if you will. Go back to the book of Luke today. What chapter, Pastor Cindy? I'll tell you in a minute. Luke chapter 15. The word father brings images to our mind. Someone says to you, Father, there are some images that come up. Maybe about your earthly father. Maybe about a man who has represented a father in your life. But for each one of us, when we hear the word father, an image comes to our mind. Maybe a memory comes to our mind when we hear the word father. Maybe Associated with the word Father comes feelings and attitudes, things that rise up within us. Maybe for you this morning, the images are pretty strong and pretty powerful. Maybe for you this morning, there are fond and happy thoughts and memories associated with Father. Good feelings, positive attitudes, things that you want to hold dear things that are important to you, things that you want to be able to remember. They're positive. They're warm. They're ones that are fond to you. Maybe for others of us this morning, the image that you have is one of weakness rather than strength. Maybe your memories are ones without him present or maybe present but not involved. Maybe to think of Father this morning leaves you with sad or empty feelings or maybe a sour or a distasteful attitude when you hear the word Father. Our culture around us, I'm sure you've noticed, um, suffers from what some have called a father wound or the absence or the uninvolvement of a father has created a, a gap, has created a wound, has created an empty place. Uh, In fact, there are some sober statistics and findings that we have about the whole idea of a father in our country. In case you haven't noticed, our our country is reeling from the absence of father. You might say, Pastor Cindy, have you looked at the calendar? It's not Father's Day. I know. I know. I'm not going to really go there this morning. I'm going to talk to you about somebody far better, but... The evidences in our culture are so great when it comes to the effects that a man has or does not have as a father. Fathers are important. 
fathers are, let me take it a step further, are crucial. It's critical that fathers have an involvement and a place in their children's lives. So, so very, very important. Here's some sobering statistics this morning I just want to share with you. A study of over 13,000 women in prison showed that more than half grew up without their father. 42% grew up in a single mother household and 16% lived with neither one of their parents. Girls, daughters of single parents without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers, 711% more likely to have children as teenagers, and 164% more likely to have a premarital birth and 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. 43% of children in the United States live without their father. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Children with fathers are involved, who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get A's in school. And children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. You see, studies on parent-child relationships and child well-being show that father love is an important factor in predicting the social, emotional, and cognitive development and functioning of children and young adults. Fathers are important. Not just a physical father, not just a provisional father, but a present father. An involved father. A father that pays attention. A father that has an involvement in the life of his children. Our culture is suffering, reeling from the absence of dads fathers our families they're weaker because of it our our sons are left with a marred picture of what it means to be a man or a father and our daughters choose men far less than what they need out of this empty place yet isn't it interesting that our faith in god introduces us to him as father he calls himself father He introduces us to him, not just as God, not just as creator, not just as sustainer, not just as one who is great and mighty and powerful and almighty. Oh, no, those those words could keep him at a distance. He says to us as his children, I am your father. You see, if you were to take the Koran today and you were to open it and you were to scan its pages, you would never see the word Father. 
You would see God and Allah. You would see other terms, but you would never see a picture. You would never see the words that would say that God is Father. Yet in our Bible today, God says, I'm your Father. I'm your Father. Luke 15, if you look there, we're going to see one of the most beautiful pictures. One of the most beautiful pictures of a father. Not only as an example for the men in the room, but as a reminder today of how approachable, how loving, how inviting, how involved, how caring our father is. Because you see, Our culture is so wounded with this idea of father that sometimes it's hard for them to move toward the heavenly father because the issue of father is so hard. The idea of father is just so void of any type of understanding that to surpass that or move beyond that to see God as father is very, very difficult and so I think it's beautiful that Luke includes in his account of Jesus' ministry this picture, this portrait of Father. In this story, Jesus tells about this son, he calls him the, pro- the prodigal son. In fact, at the title of this passage in your Bible, the header there, it might say the story of the prodigal son. And oftentimes when we read this passage, we focus on the son. We focus on what he's done, how rebellious he was, how far away he went, what he did when he was gone, the pig's food that he ate, and finally coming to his senses and returning. And we put the spotlight on the son. But today I want to take the spotlight and I want to shift it over to who it deserves to be on, the father. That's where the spotlight needs to turn onto today. The Father. Let's read, if you will, beginning with verse 11 of Luke 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Who in the world is this father? Who is this father that Jesus tells the story of? He is the one on whom the spotlight needs to rest today. First we see him. He's a man of wealth. He's a man of means. He has an inheritance to give. It was customary in that culture for the eldest son to receive two-thirds of the inheritance, and then the younger son to receive one-third of the inheritance. And that inheritance, as it is today, is to be given upon the death of the father. So we see he is a man of wealth. He has hired servants in verse 17. He has a robe, a ring, and sandals. He has a means to throw a community party. He has a calf, which he fattens for this occasion. You see, Jews only ate red meat on very special occasions. It was probably the most valuable meat available. You just didn't serve it every day. Last night when I was relaxing and toward the evening, this van pulled in my driveway with a dinner. Wasn't that? It was kind of neat. Because I had been to the ladies' event and I had my, my chicken puff and my Strawberry jello pretzel salad. Sounds good, doesn't it? It was. But, you know, it got to be about 6 o'clock, and I was kind of hungry, and underneath the foil was a great burger. I mean, this wasn't just a mediocre burger. If I told you who made it, you would want to go line up at his house. It was tasty. We eat beef all the time. We run through the grocery store all the time. We buy beef and different types of beef all the time. But not in this culture. It was not customary. It was the most valuable of meats. This man was a man of means. He was also, as we see in this portrait, he was a generous man. He was willing at the call of his rebellious, spoiled, rotten son to say, You can have your third. You can have your third. The third that I was keeping for you, that upon my death you could have, you can have the third now. He was willing to give. Because really what his son was saying by asking for the inheritance is he was saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I could have what rightfully belongs to me. But I'm going to ask for it now. I'm going to demand for it now. And in his rebellion, he did. I see the generosity of the father in some of the talk of the son. If you look at verses 17 through 19, notice the words there of the son. 
He says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and I am starving to death? He was a good man. He was a generous man. He took care of his servants well. They had plenty to eat. He knew that there would be food for him if he would come back as a hired servant. He says, I will set out in verse 18 and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He knew his father may at least take him back as a hired servant because he knew the generosity of his father. He also knew that his father had boundaries. He knew that his father would acknowledge his sin, not only his sin against him, but against heaven. And something would be expected. I believe the generosity of the father was the point of awakening for this boy because as he's reminiscing and thinking and, and about the nature of his father and the goodness of his father and the blessing of his father and the generosity of his father as he's talking there in those verses, notice at the very end, verse 20, what's he do? He gets up and he goes to him. There was something about what this boy knew about his dad that was like a magnet. My dad's good. My dad's not only wealthy, but he's a generous man. He's a good man. And I recognize that, so I'm going to go back to him. My friend today, the God that we serve is a good God. He's a generous God. He's a loving God. And that love is intended to be a magnet to your heart, from his heart to draw you to himself. You see in Romans verses 2 or chapter 2 verse 4 it says, "Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness or in the King James it says that God's goodness leads you to change or to repentance." It's God's goodness that causes people to want to change. It's not God's strictness. It's not God's rules. It's not God's punishment. It's not God's heavy-handedness. That's not what causes people to change and want to know Him. It's God's goodness. We can't be afraid to show people how good God is. It's His kindness. It's His goodness that will cause people to say, I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. It was true for this boy. He was slopping the pigs. Being so hungry that he looked at these pods and he wanted to eat them. He wanted to eat them. He was so hungry. The land was struck with famine. He wanted to eat those pods. And in that moment, he remembered the goodness of his dad. And he thought, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home to this good man. I love this next section. The father in the story is a man with a great loving heart. Look at verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still, the boy, the son, a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Now, wait a second. Filled with compassion. He has a third of my wealth. I doubt that he has any of it in his pockets. I'll bet he's not bringing any of it back to me. 
I'll bet that it's gone. Have you ever felt that way, parents? I'll bet that everything I've given you is gone. He could have been standing at the gate watching because he wanted to have that kid's hide. He wanted to at least enslave him for the rest of his life and get something back from him. If not, pat him down and try to find what was left of the inheritance that he gave him. But no, look at what the story says. He looks and he sees him from afar off and he is filled with compassion. I'm amazed that you love me. I love that song today. I love that song. I love that song every day, but I love that song today. Because that compassionate heart of the Father welled up in that man as he looked down the road and he saw his son and all he wanted to do was bring him back my friend that is our god that is our father there's no big stick there's no list of rules there's no condemnation there's no what is wrong with you you spoiled brat There's only love. Do you get it? I don't get it, but it's true. I don't get it because in my human nature and in your human nature, we wouldn't be like that. But he is. Praise the Lord. He is. So look at his heart of love. He's filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And in the Greek there it says he kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed him. In our homophobic world, we're really strange about all that kind of stuff. But you know on that day, I bet you that son didn't go, oh, dad, cut it out, knock it off. He probably was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. He loves me. He wants me. I've been such a loser. I've been such a waste of a son. I was so rebellious. I was so wayward. I just stuck it in his face. I said to him, and essentially, I wish you were dead. And I left. And I broke my relationship with him. And I went to a faraway place and I took everything that he earned, a third of it, and I wasted it and I wasted it and I wasted it. And now he's kissing me and he's hugging me and he wants me. Maybe even just as a hired servant. He didn't know at that point, but he just wants me. What a heart of compassion and what a heart of love. You notice here that we see that the father does not leave home to search for the boy. It says at the very beginning of verse 20, it took a decision on the boy's part to come back. He didn't go after him and grab him out of the pigsty and say, come home. He stayed at the gate. He stayed home and he waited and he waited and he waited And when the boy saw that he needed to make a decision to come home, he gets up and he comes home. When he looks up, he's filled with this intense love for him. And we know it because he ran. We know it because he ran, because this was not customary or proper or dignified in that day to run 
because men, forgive me, wore dresses in that day. They had long robes. Ever tried to run in a robe? Tough to do. And so what would be necessary for this man to run? He would have to take his robes and he would have to gird them up and hold them up so that he could run. And that was a very undignified thing for men to do. It would expose their legs. That was not proper or culturally accepted or customary. Men of respect never ran in that culture. Running required him to pull up his robes, to bare his legs. But you see, love causes you to do unconventional things. When compassion wells up in your heart, you go and you do things that people go, whoa, 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 wait a second. That, that's a little, that, that's, that's not part of the rules here. We don't, we don't do things that way. You're the head of the estate. You should be acting more dignified. But you see, when that man caught a glimpse of his son, being dignified went down the drain. What people thought went down the drain. What was customary went down the drain. Why? Because he saw someone who was dead and is now alive, and he ran after him. And he openly embraces him, and he kisses him repeatedly, and then he lavishes generously. Here's the kid that takes the third and wastes it. And what does the father do? Gives him more. You might say poor parenting skills. Uh, see a little dull. Doesn't he get it? He already did that. He already gave the third. And it's already gone. What's he doing? The ring, the robe, the sandals, the feast. What's all of this about? Well, he gives the robe. He covers his dirt and he covers the smell. He puts the robe around his shoulders. It's a sign of his position in the family. What he was saying when he said, put that robe on him, he was saying, you are not a servant. You are a son. You don't have to worry about coming in and working for me. You don't have to. You're my boy. You're my boy. And I show you that because I put my robe upon your back. You're my son. And then he says, bring out the ring. And the ring usually carried the family insignia. And what he was saying is, I'm restoring the family's authority to you. You can have the authority of the family again. Sandals for the feet. Only children wore sandals. Hired servants never did. Sandals are a sign that you are a son of the owner, that you belong to him. And then he threw a feast, probably for the entire community, to express his joy and to publicly make a statement, because I'm sure the gossipers had been already circulating what had been going on down there at 33 Maple Avenue or wherever they lived. You know, that rebellious boy. You know, he took a third. He demanded a third. Have you heard about him and what he's done? I can't believe it. I can't believe that he has the audacity to come back. What's he think is going to happen? He's going to be a slave. That's, that's probably the best that he'll ever get for this. I just can't believe it. The community was aware. And in the awareness of the community came a party thrown by the offended 
for the ascendor. Doesn't that kind of turn things on their ear? The offender says, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. And not only do I forgive you, but I'm going to celebrate it and we're going to throw a party and I'm going to let our neighbors know that all is well at 33 Maple Avenue. Everything's good. We're back. Things are good. Things are right. My son is home. My friend, as we close this morning, I wanted to show us this portrait because this is Father. This is Father. This is the image that God wants us to have. This is the one he wants us to have this relationship with, to be close to, to know, to embrace. Not only is this father, but this is your father. This is your father. Have you ever thought and wondered, how does, what does God think of me? How does he look at me? I've been bad. I've been wayward. I've not lived up to his expectations. I'm less than. Certainly he wouldn't accept me. Certainly he's put me at a distance. Oh, no, my friend, according to this picture, not at all. Not at all. This is your father, this generous father, this loving father, this father that wants to restore. He wants to pursue. He wants to love. He wants to pour out his generosity. I'm telling you that if we present this type of father to the world, how could they resist him? He's a magnet of generosity, of love. And yet sometimes his his own children portray him as dictatorial, judgmental. Someone to be feared. Someone that's going to throw you into hell. And on and on. But yet, my friend, if we present this portrait to the people that we know that need to know Father so much, if we show them this portrait, they're going to come. They're going to come. Because everyone needs the love of a Father. Every one of us. When His children are selfish and rebellious and insistent on their own way, He loves. When His children are gone from home, He waits. He looks. He prepares. How did that calf get fat? I believe the father anticipated the return of his son, and so he loaded up the diet of the calf to get him ready because you're going to be the party. You're going to be the meal for the party. Because I'm expecting, I'm looking. We don't know from Scripture, but it could have been every day that the father walked to the end of his driveway, looked out. And he thought, maybe today, maybe today he'll come back. Maybe today. And one day he did. One day he did. And when his children decide to come home, what does the father do? He runs. He runs. 
And when his children see his goodness and they repent, he celebrates. My friend this morning, God the Father is not absent. You may come from a background in a home where dad provided and dad showed up, but he wasn't present. He didn't stay. He didn't involve himself. My friend, the father is not absent. He's present. My friend, the father is not abusive. He's embracing The father is not uninvolved. No, he's planning a welcome. And finally, the father, he's not indifferent. He's standing at the gate looking for you. I preach this message for two reasons this morning. The first one is this. For those of us that know the Lord, we know God. He wants us to know him as father this picture this picture of him he wants us to know him like that he wants us to enjoy him like that he wants us to realize that when we at times wander away to a distant country he's waiting he's loving he's looking for us and also i wanted to bring this message because i wanted to remind us of the God that we should be portraying to the people around us that need to know him. How are we portraying him? Is it accurate to the picture of Luke 15? I know what our human tendency is. If I present God to be just too loving, people will just think they can get away with anything. Well, is that really our problem to figure out? Is that really our issue to try to determine? You know, if if I just put God out there as so loving, they're just going to think they can just turn to God and just do whatever. That's not my problem and that's not your problem. Our issue is to paint the picture. Our role is to show the picture, the portrait. And when we show the portrait, people will be overwhelmed with what they see of who God really is as Father. And then finally, maybe this story speaks to you because you're identifying with the Son. In your heart, you're identifying with Him. Now, you might be in a far country, and you might feel like you have a long journey back, or you might be outside the gate. The distance is irrelevant how far you are. The issue is, are you away from home? Are you away from this father, this generous, loving, caring, giving, benevolent father who in the face of rebellion will say, come on back. Come on back. Where are you today? Are you away? Is your heart away to a far place? Or to right outside the gate. It doesn't matter. The important thing is, come on back. Come on back. The father that you find inside the door of the estate is not a judgmental, condescending, criticizing, punishing God. 
Jesus took the punishment. He already took the punishment. There is no punishment. There's only compassion. And there's only love for you. But the decision, just like it was for this boy, is yours. He had to get up and come home. God will not go and find you and grab you by the neck and bring you back. He wants you to get up and come home. Let's pray. Father, how good it is to see your portrait today. How good it is to be reminded of how good you are. How amazed we are that you love us. How amazed that you care for us the way that you do. Lord, in a world that we live in where there's been so much disappointment with earthly fathers, could it be, could it be that in that disappointment you're saying, I'll never be a disappointment to you as a father. Come to me. Come to me and I will be the perfect father, the one you're looking for, the one that you need, the one that you've missed, the one that's been absent, the one that's left you alone, the one that's been abusive, the one that's been difficult, the one that has hurt you. I will take his place and I will be your father. Lord, thank you for such a wonderful picture. It is who you are. And in this moment, I just want to ask, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and said, you know what? You have been away. You have been away. It's time to come home. It's time to come back. We're just going to wait for a moment. But if that's you, would you just stand this morning, just where you are? I'm coming home. I might just be right outside the gate. I haven't gone far. But I know that I'm away in my heart. I know. By standing this morning, I'm just saying, I'm coming home. I'm going to come home. Yes, anyone else this morning? I'm coming home. Thank you. We'll wait just a moment. Thank you for being honest, having the courage to stand. Because I know what happens in church. We look around and we think we know where everyone is. And the thing about it is, is we think everyone thinks we're somewhere where we're not. And we want people to think we're somewhere where we're not. The best thing this morning is just to be honest. You're in a place of acceptance and love. Thank you for being honest. Anyone else this morning?
I'm going to ask the congregation just to pray right along with me as I lead these that are standing this morning. Lord, I stand before you. I'm coming home. In my heart, I've been away from you. But I'm coming home. I thank you that I am not a servant. But I am your son. That you have received me into your family. Again. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for receiving me. Thank you for your compassion that you've poured out on me. I take every bit of it into my heart. You are my father. I return to your household. I return to your love. I will live in your household. I will love you. And I will gladly serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome home. Welcome home.